0: Obviously, there's more horrible news in America. First time I saw what was going on in the world today, I just see another shooting, elementary school, double digits. The few times that I checked in again on what the world was doing today, the number of deceased grew. So it's just the the number was going up. And, you know, what gets me about that is having so many mass shootings. You know, it's often now that there's at least two back-to-back this is the third in a very short amount of time. And how that must feel to do that. Like how how low that is to be. Because, you know, it's not necessarily that these are all copycats. Like, you know, a lot of these situations where a shooting happens right after another one. It turns out they were planning it for a while. You know, it, it turns out, it. you know, hey, baddie. Gonna hork. Gonna hork. But it often turns out like, oh, the you know it seems like a copycat and maybe this shooting prompted them to carry it out like maybe they were like oh now is the time to do it but they had been planning it for a while i don't know what the situation was with these but uh you know i know how bad it feels to like do anything after somebody's already done it and i hate that and it's you know it's impossible not to you know it's impossible not to sometimes do what somebody else already did you know it's impossible not to do that Uh, but just in situations like where if you're, if you're a creative person and you do something creative, like maybe you didn't even copy somebody, but you did something and it kind of looks like something somebody already did. Just knowing that I just get this sinking feeling that never arises again. Like that will ruin something I did forever. Or or if I say something like making a joke, I think that's, that's another good example. Like if you make a joke about something and you find out that somebody else already did it, but for me, it's like, I never do that deliberately. And, uh, you know, so, so it's like, it's always an accident if that happens. But with these shootings, like it can't be totally accidental because even if they were planning a shooting for a while and they just happened to do it right after another shooting, like they knew a shooting happened. Like these people are like, they're glued to that shit anyway. They're obsessed with every mass shooting. So they know that it happened and they know that when they do it, they're going to seem like a copycat. But then it's, it's one of those things too where it's like, if you're at that point where you're willing to kill people because of your own impotent internal rage and I guess it's not impotent maybe that's just me trying to you know just act all moral or something uh you know it's not it's actually unfortunately it's not impotent rage it's very potent rage because they're doing something with it that hurts people but uh if you're the kind of person who who can kill people especially a lot of people at once like that for no reason I guess it doesn't matter if you're copying somebody. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, originality and being unique in that moment doesn't really matter. Like, even though that seems to be a motivation for a lot of school shooters, a lot of them want to be seen as iconoclastic or unique. Thinking back to what the Columbine guys said, where, funny enough, like, apparently in their videos that have never been released, the Columbine guys, like, talk about how we didn't decide to do this because of... Kip Kinkle and -and so-and-so, like they specifically say that these previous mass shootings didn't inspire them to do their shooting. It's very important to them, you know, but you think, you know, you think it wouldn't matter at all. But the human ego is so strong that even somebody who's planning to kill a bunch of people and kill themselves still wants to clarify that we're not doing this because of these other people who did this. We're original. We're unique. Like that drive is so strong that even the Columbine killers were thinking about it and and clarified that in the videos they made before they did it. But I think a lot of these people don't give a fuck. Like, some people, the ego is still like, yeah, I'm a mass shooter, but I'm I'm my own type of mass shooter. I'm my own unique type of mass shooter. Even though, like, they're almost always very much the same. Like, yeah, they're different people, but their reasons and what they do, it's all the same. Like at least serial killers have a little more nuance to them. Not to praise serial killers, but in terms of just human interest. At least serial killers have something you know they each even though they're they're all similar too, and they're copycat serial killers, like at least most of them have like something about them, their own unique pathology of some kind. And it's convincing. I saw this video a little while back. It was these kids who were plotting a mass shooting somewhere, and they never ended up carrying it out because they got arrested. But they were trying to, like, deliberately recreate the Columbine basement tapes, most of which have never been publicly released, but they were like it was them sitting in a garage or a basement, like trying to sound like them. And one of them kept doing this fake evil laugh where he was like, oh. And he had one of those haircuts. And this is like fairly recent, I believe. I believe they made this video within the last two, three years at most. And this kid, he's like this chubby kid with like a that haircut Justin Bieber had when he first became famous that a bunch of younger dudes had. Like, nobody my age really had that hair. It was definitely kind of a younger millennial hairdo. Awful hairdo. You know, that was just such a... It was kind of like a swirl. It's like a shaggy thing that kind of like very deliberately like swirls around your head with bangs. But this kid, he had that hair. And he kept doing this fake evil laugh where he's like, It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna... Because the Columbine guy, like... One of the Columbine guys, he was always like, it's godlike. It's going to be godlike. And so this kid was using the word godlike. So copying the Columbine guys, he was like, it will be godlike. (laughs) And, you know, you could tell he was trying to sound like he had a deeper voice than he has. These are like 15 or 16-year-old kids. And you could tell he was making his voice way deeper than it naturally is. And just doing this like evil cartoon villain laugh while just saying exactly what the Columbine guys said. And it's just like, you know that you're just taking this from Columbine, for one. I don't know. I mean, it's just weird that, like, on one hand, it's like they want to assert their unique identity. But so many of these guys are just riffing off each other. And I don't know what the story is with the recent ones. I I took a brief look into the one where the guy shot up the supermarket, because he, you know, apparently, I don't even want, I'm not even going to talk about him, just to say that it's like, you see him and you're just like, one way or another, this guy wasn't going to make it in the world. Like, you take one look at his picture and, like, you see, like, his diary entries, and you're just like, oh, yeah, one way or another, this guy wasn't going to make it in the world. You know, I, I and the thing is, I'm not even trying to be one of these people who's, who's, I'm not trying to criticize Hitler's art here. You know, I've talked about that before, where like when someone's done something very bad, we have a tendency to kind of like assert our own virtue by being like, "Yeah, Hitler was a monster, and his art sucked too." Like you're not allowed to acknowledge anything good about Hitler—not not good, but just even something he was skilled at. You know, Hitler was a better artist than probably anybody you know in your life. Not not perfect, like, I mean, but it's like, in terms of his ability, like, probably better at it. Like, his architectural paintings are probably better than, here comes Batty with a toy, uh, probably better than anybody you know. But there's this thing, because Hitler did what he did, you can't say that his art was good, Or if you do, you have to say, well, his architectural paintings were good, but have you seen how bad his faces were? Because that's a point I've heard people make. Like the more, (laughs) you know, the more developed takes on Hitler's art, people will say like, well, yeah, he he was an okay, you know, he he was a competent architecture painter. He could paint architecture and buildings. But his figure drawings, ugh. So it's just this thing, though, where it's like because Hitler was a bad guy, you can't acknowledge anything that he was strong at except for killing people, which we know he did. But it's one of those things I've talked about this with the mafia before where just describing what they do should be enough without you needing to moralize. And there's this tendency to moralize and editorialize things where you say, like, let's talk, let's start with the mafia. Like, Oh, Hey, Hey, these guys murdered this guy for an unpaid debt. Aren't they freaking bad? Like, aren't they assholes? And it's like just saying these guys murdered another human being over a debt. Like everything is in that. Everything that you need to think about is in that statement they committed the murder of another human being and it wasn't in self-defense and it wasn't necessary. Your audience should be morally sound enough to hear that and go, okay, they're bad. You don't need to say, did you know they're freaking bad? It's the same thing with Hitler. Like you should be able to say, you know, Hitler provoked a world war, invaded another country, massacred people, and that you know committed genocide you don't need to add and did you know that he's a bad freaking guy with a small penis who's secretly gay and his art sucks because but that's what people do they have this tendency to do that and i watched a documentary last weekend a friend showed me a, a documentary and i checked it out and uh it was about a pedophile it was about a pedophile it was about this pedophile, a a, pedo, a pedophile in England who like traveled all around the world molesting children in orphanages and impoverished countries in Malaysia and places like that. And he did this for at least nine years. And he documented it all because he was a freelance photographer. So he made video and photos of himself abusing children and and he proliferated it on the dark web on these, like, secret pedophile forums. And he also, uh, like, wrote a manual for other pedophiles on how to take advantage of kids in impoverished countries. So a very bad guy. Here I am doing it. Did you know that that guy is bad? But anyway, in the documentary, it's about how he was murdered in prison during a prison riot where... Uh, during a prison riot, the inmates took control and another inmate who was just sort of like a, just a fucked up guy in general, just kind of like a a general nuisance. He, uh, he like snuck into the pedophile's cell and tied him up. And over the span of 80 minutes, he tortured and sodomized and ultimately killed this guy. Like he, uh, You know, I'm a squeamish person, so I don't love sharing these details. But it it is interesting just to hear where this guy tied the pedophile up. It's an old game that people used to play. It's called Tie the Pedophile Up. Um, But uh, he tied him up, raped him he i think he strangled him like almost to the point of death and then released i think he did that thing where like you str- you got you like almost kill somebody with strangulation but then you like let them regain consciousness he like stuck like a like a spoon or a fork in this guy's ass on top of like on top of raping him and like perforated his colon he had a razor blade on the end of a pen that he stuck so far up the guy's nose that like went to his brain. And he, this is over the span of 80 minutes. So he, he just tortured this guy. And then when the guards regained control of the building, they walked in and found uh, him with the guy's corpse. And I guess like he admitted everything and he said he was planning to cut the guy up and eat him too, which who knows if he would have done that, but did everything else. But then it like, the thing is though, the beginning of the documentary, it just tells you about what happened in, in prison and it doesn't tell you that the guy's a pedophile. I just started, you know, I just say that now. It started as a joke. It won't, well, excuse me. I confused the word pedophile with another word. It, it turns out the guy was an audiophile. He was in prison for audiophilia. But anyway, the audiophile, like it doesn't tell you in the beginning that he was an audiophile. It just shows his picture and says he was an inmate at this British prison. And he looks just like a hippie. Like he has long hair. He just looks like a goofy, like young guy, a hippie. And uh, you would think he's there on drug offenses or something. And then it tells you about this brutal torture murder that's done to him. And you still don't know anything about him. You just hear about what was done to him. And then the documentary stops and it asks, like, how do you feel about this? Like, how are you feeling about what happened to this guy right now? The narrator says that, like, because your response is, oh, my God, this monster, this monster in prison, like, tortured this poor man for 80 minutes. And then the documentary goes on and it tells you who that victim was and everything horrible he did to children all around the world. I thought it was interesting. I I liked that. I liked the way they did that. It was really psychologically interesting that it presented this horrible thing that was done to this man. Didn't tell you who that man was just that this happened to him. Then it stops and says, what do you think about what you just heard? Then goes on to tell you who that guy was and why. And at the end, like, My thought, because it asks you at the end, like, how do you feel now about what was done to that guy in prison? And I think a lot of people would be like, oh, he got what he deserved. Yeah, that that pedophile got what he deserved. I would have done that to him too, you know. My response isn't that. My response is basically nature sometimes corrects itself. Like, I can't celebrate the rape, torture, murder even of this horrible prolific pedophile i can't allow myself to feel positive emotions about what was done to that man that said I, I don't feel anything sad or bad about it either that's a rare opportunity when something bad happens to somebody where you can say oh i don't need to feel any sympathy toward that i don't need to be excited i don't i don't need to celebrate the way he, he was tortured over 80 minutes and killed but I don't need to feel anything bad about it either because nature sometimes corrects itself. Nature sometimes puts two horrible men in the same building. A prison riot happens. God, God allows a prison riot to happen. And one of those horrible people does something horrible to the other and removes him from the planet. I'm not going to clap. I'm not going to applaud that. That's, that's a good example of like two wrongs. Don't make a right as they say I think that's a good example of like, two wrongs don't make a right. That said, sometimes nature just kind of finds a way. Nature just kind of corrects itself. And that was kind of how I ended up feeling. But why I bring this documentary up is, what I didn't like about it is, throughout it, like the narrator's constantly doing that thing, where every time he brings the pedophile up, He's like this rat, this, uh, oh, the, you know, cause earlier in the documentary, it says that the pedophile was kind of like a loner in high school and people said he looked like a rat. Like kids would make, they would bully him in school and call him a rat. And so throughout the documentary, the narrator, the narrator starts doing that like this rat and, and making bad puns. Like the rat was caught in a trap. But what I didn't like about it is it's like when they describe the horrible things he did to children around the world, you don't need to editorialize on top of that. Like, you don't need to say, oh, he molested children and and videotaped it and broadcast it to other pedophiles on the internet and wrote a pedophile manual. That's all you need to say. Like, and if somebody listening to you doesn't know that that's bad... Well, there's far worse things. And like, you're not going to be the one to tell that person, oh, did you know that's a bad thing? Like, maybe you should tell your children that. Like, when you're socializing your children, maybe you should tell them like, oh, hey, this guy killed somebody and that's really bad. You never do that. Maybe you do it to children, but like, you don't need to do it in a documentary. You don't need to do it. But it's, it's what I call too, like criticizing Hitler's art. Where it's like, We all know who Hitler was and what he did. The the simple facts are really all you need to know what you should think about that. But then on top of that, you have to be like, and he ate a small dick and his art sucked. And uh, tracing my steps back to, I guess, school shooters or... What even was it? I mean, it was just something to do with that, like, like people's need to be original, something to do. I was talking about somebody and how, uh, oh, I, I, I kind of know what got me on this. Is I was talking about like the guy who did the supermarket shooting last week. And I was saying like, you know, you look at him and like, you know, his eyes are spaced really far apart he looks like somebody who like wouldn't survive if he, if he was born in the 1800s. And I'm not even saying that as a joke, he looks like somebody where if that child had been born before modern medicine, that's like one of the babies that dies in infanthood of something, something's wrong with them. He has that look and like what they released of his little journal entries, you know, he doesn't sound like he's all there. And, and I, 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 what got me on that whole tangent was just that, like, I don't say that to, like, editorialize and to be like, and he was ugly and stupid, too. Oh, he killed a bunch of people. And did you know he was ugly and stupid, too? Like, I'm not looking to, like, it, that's low-hanging fruit, what I call a low-hanging ball sack. Very easy to kick, low to the ground. But I'm just speaking the simple truth here. Like, that's how that kid comes across. Whereas, like, the Columbine kids, they're extremely embarrassing and, like, what people would... I mean, they're, they're embarrassing. Like, the things they say, like, what they think is cool. It's all very embarrassing. It's very teenage. And that said, though, there is some sort... There is something about them as someone who's not... Uh, interested in school shootings and mass shooters very much there is something about the columbine guys dare i say like a certain charisma not even that they had charismatic personalities because they obviously didn't you know they weren't popular like they didn't they they weren't neither of them was like even within their group of friends neither of them was like the guy neither of them was like they were they were even kind of like peripheral characters with their group of friends but there's a certain charisma to the whole thing and I think that's why, like, these kids continue to worship them and be inspired by them. Why every school shooter now is always like, this is for Eric and Dylan. I'm just doing what Eric and Dylan started. You know, that's why every school shooter says shit like that. Because it's like there's there's a certain, like, odd charisma to Columbine. It's not even Eric Harris and Dylan Klebel, because they weren't charismatic people. It's that there's sort of a charisma to the whole situation, if that makes any sense. I don't know. But with this kid last week it's like there's nothing like that. Like there's he just looks like a puddle of goo. And then like to like follow his shooting with a couple more it's it's like you're you're cop you're copycatting that kid now. It's like an echo of an echo of an echo. You know, it's like a a copy of a copy of a copy. It's like, it's just like these people are so forgettable and that sucks. Like, it's not even just that mass shootings happen so much now that they don't stick in our mind as much. We just go, oh, another mass shooting moving on. It's that the people doing them don't even... There's not even anything very compelling about them. There's not even anything that interesting about them. They're Like this, this kid a week ago, he's just the product of the internet. He was like 18 years old. He's lived his entire life on the internet. He's more a product of a digital world in many ways. His brain is more the product of the digital world than I think it is tangible earthly experience. And I don't think that's hyperbole on my part. I think that's the truth. Like you get the impression from what I saw of this kid's journal entries that like this kid's mind is the product of the Internet. There's not even a little bit of reality really uh, grabbing the steering wheel back from this kind of digital realm that these people exist in. And of course, like, you know, this is, it's, it's what I've said before about the gun control debate. Where I'm pro-Second Amendment, I believe that civilians should be able to have AR-15s. I believe, I believe uh, civilians should be able to have a reasonable amount of firepower because that keeps the government just a little bit more in check. The government and the military and the police, while they could probably overpower civilian, I mean, of course they could they're going to give a little more hesitation in America knowing that so many people own firearms and some of them own, you know, pretty, uh, you know, uh, I mean, they the people own AR-15s, they own the weapons of war. Yeah, the military has stronger firepower than that. And I, you know, I don't believe in need tanks. I don't believe civilians need missiles. I don't believe they need nukes because that's always the... People go with that logical conclusion argument where it's like if you believe the civilians need some sort of suitable protection from the government, if if nobody else, in addition to the other things you need to protect yourself from, other civilians, criminals, people are always like, well, what about nukes? It's like, well, (laughs) you know... Let's get to that. Like once, once random people start being able to have their own nukes, if that's even possible, let's let's cross that bridge when we get there. But I, you know, I am a fan of uh, not a fan. Like I'm not a gun owner. That's a thing. I'm not a gun owner, but I believe people should basically, maybe with some restrictions, be able to own what they want. And the thing is, too, you know, I always wonder. When people are rabidly anti-gun, or you know, rabidly and f- r- rabidly in favor of, um, you know, pretty st- like extremely strict gun control, or even getting rid of guns entirely, I wonder how many gun owners they know. Maybe they know them, and you know, they still have that opinion. But what's always surprised me is someone who wasn't raised around a lot of guns. I did own a gun that I inherited, but I gave it to a gun collector. Uh, family friend but I had bb guns and pellet guns but you know I've never owned a firearm as an adult I didn't come come up in a family like my dad and grandpa didn't shoot guns or anything like that Uh, you know I had one friend who I learned how to shoot guns with his family and and took a hunter safety course and stuff but, you know, I, I don't own a gun, but I'm still in favor of people being allowed to own them and own a, quite a wide range of them, really. But uh, that said, I understand why people respond to a mass shooting by saying we need strict gun control. We need to take these guns away. I don't agree with that, but I understand it. And I think that's kind of part of the problem cuz there's people who are pro second amendment who who act like that's the stupidest thing in the world. And it goes back to what I talk about on here a lot, which is that we've reached this point and maybe we've always been this way where we think if somebody disagrees with us, they're stupid. Oh, you disagree with me on something very polarizing, you're stupid. I'm smart, you're stupid. And I see people who are pro-Second Amendment, like, respond to calls for gun control, and they're like, oh, are you stupid? And it's like, no, it's not stupid to respond to mass shootings with, hey, we need stricter gun control. I totally understand the logic. I just don't agree with it. I don't think it's stupid at all, though. Like, I I understand the rationale. I just don't think that that's ultimately the best decision. And someone can disagree with m- m- with me feeling that way. And that's okay with me as long as they don't think I'm stupid for thinking it. But uh, what gets me about every every time a mass shooting happens now, it's like there's this... Y- you could practically... I mean, maybe you can bet on this in Vegas. Maybe you can bet on this these days. But you see people like where they're like, what race is he? What race is he? Because the left loves mass shooters to be white men. The left loves, they they prefer it. They love mass tragedies to be caused by white men because they can say, see? And uh, as a result, like, conservatives have been put in this position where they're like, well, I hope it's not a white man because that'll play into the left's narrative and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's like they, they start playing this game where it's like, they're wagering for it to be a certain race because that'll play into their narrative. And it immediately... Before you can even acknowledge the tragedy, it gets sucked into this social and political argument. And uh, it's always just so nasty to see. And the, the thing about the race reminds me... When the Boston bombings happened, when the Boston Marathon bombing happened... The guys were on the run for a day or something like that, a day or two. I think, like, one of them got killed in the middle of the night in a shootout, and the other one escaped, but he was, like, found bleeding in a boat. And he survived, and he's the one in prison. But they had a blurry, pixelated surveillance camera photo of them walking with their backpacks to place the bombs. And... The race thing isn't new, because immediately people were like, "Well, what race are they?" Because it was kind of ambiguous, like the surveillance footage before they before they found the guys, it was kind of ambiguous. we like, they they kind of looked Arabic, which is what everybody was thinking. Like, oh, is this is this an Islamic terror attack? You know, but uh, they kind of they could pass for Arabic in the the photo, but they have kind of a light complexion too. And I remember this friend of mine, and again, like I don't think she's stupid. I think she's an incredibly smart lady. But right away she's like, I think they're white. And I was like, "Did you see the photo? Did you see the surveillance photo? Because I you know it's hard to tell. I could kind of see it going either way. She's like, no, I they look totally white. And she wanted them to be white. It wasn't that they looked obviously white in that footage. It's that she wanted them to be white because it played into her belief system, which, you know, she she believed a lot of things that have become more common now on the left. But that, what she believed back then was actually pretty extreme. Most liberals didn't think the way she thought. She was really radical at the time, far left. But we were friends, and we agreed to disagree on a lot of things. But I remember at the time, whatever year that was, whatever year the Boston Marathon bombing was, I remember just kind of being, like, realizing that she wanted them to to be white. And it was, and that surveillance footage was almost like a Rorschach test where it's like, what do you see? And it's like, she sees white men. Somebody else might see Arabs. But then it came out they were Chechnyan, which is sort of like all of the above. Because, like, you look at Chechnyans, like, especially these two, and, like, if I saw those guys, I would not think, well, those are two white guys just like me. I would, I would be like, huh, I wonder what they are. They could pass for, like, Iranian. You know, they look like, a, to me, they, they look like a lighter complexion, um, you know, like, Middle Easterner. They could pass for that. And Chechnyans are, you know, turns out Islamic. So Islam was a part of it. And, uh, you know, Chechnyans are interesting, though, because it's like they're they're Eurasian. You know, it's like that's what they look like. That's what the the brothers who did the Boston Marathon bombing look like. They look Eurasian. They look Eurasian. And when it came out who they were, I was like, oh, it's sort of all of the above. You know, they're like, they're light skinned, but they're Muslims and they're in a part of the world where, yeah, you know, but that was when I first realized that, oh, this is a part of things now where when a mass tragedy happens, a certain group of people is hoping it's not a Muslim while these people are hoping it is. And then now we're at a point with like mass tragedies in the U S where it's just everything is that way. I hope it's I hope it's I hope one of the people I hate did this so that I can blame the other side for it. But yeah, that, that ego idea, I want to go back to that, how that plays such a big part in this. Cause what gets me about serial killers who have massive egos is it's only for themselves though. That's the interesting thing about serial killers is is it's their own private joke. Like I mentioned this before where like if somebody does pranks, but by themselves and and not like pranking your roommate or your girlfriend or something like it's fun to like you, you, you leave a, you leave a rubber snake in the toaster. So when your girlfriend sees it, she gets scared. She thought there was a snake in the toaster, um, that's different. But like there are like some weird mean-spirited pranks that like people will do by themselves. Like I've never prank phone called somebody alone. Like back in the days when you could still prank people uh, in the in the old days, I never pranked somebody by myself. A friend was with me because what was gratifying about making prank phone calls is that you had an audience. Like you had a friend there to acknowledge your great work. To acknowledge the great work you were doing. To get a laugh. But if you were doing prank phone calls by yourself. Well that's basically what. It's like what Joseph D'Angelo did. He would call women and harass them. You know if you're doing that by yourself. It's pathological. Serial killing is almost like. A really nasty prank. That only you're getting satisfaction from. Really really nasty prank. In case you didn't notice. Serial killing. Oh my God! He says serial killing's a prank. You hear the latest from this guy from that school? Boy, he says uh, serial killing's just uh, basically a prank. He thinks serial killers are just pranks, misunderstood pranksters. But with, uh, but that's kind of what makes serial killers interesting to me. Is it's like their own private joke they have a huge ego they have signatures they have they they put their own little twist on things they love getting attention in the press but it's all for them in their own private world whereas like there's something so extroverted hot-blooded like mass shootings are exhibitionism serial killing is Something done in private for gratification. Mass shootings are like this public exhibition. It's just a... It's a very different pathology. And even though they both involve killing multiple people, I don't compare them, really. I compare them, but there's a lot of contrast. But, uh... I don't know and I mean they, they often have a manifesto now I mean this guy I think he had a GoPro on I'm pretty sure he had a GoPro so like he couldn't do it without documenting it you know that's become bigger and bigger is like digitizing what you're doing I mean, that, short, that sort of defines the exhibitionism I'm talking about, like wearing a camera and streaming what you're doing or recording it. I don't know if he was streaming it or what he was doing with it. But uh, it's, it's an exhibitionist act. And I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I, I have serious concerns about the next few months, the next, I mean, just, the foreseeable future because everyone i know isn't doing well and they're all doing better than a lot of people are and uh i'm just seeing the signs all around me you see the looks on people's faces you know the gas price issue is I, i always use that as a pressure gauge Because it's when gas prices go up the way they've been going up and they're expected to go up even higher. That's something that you have to get all the time just to live your life. Like even as somebody who walks as much as humanly possible, like if at all possible, I will walk. If I have the time, I will walk somewhere, you know, if I have to. Like I, I, tonight I, I I ran to the, I drove to the grocery store to get popcorn because I didn't want to like, it was already late and nor, and I was weird. I was like, this is weird. Like I walk to the grocery store every time I go, I don't drive. This is weird. So I like, I, I drive as little as humanly possible, but even then I can't imagine not driving where I live. I have to drive, you know, I feel that I have to. And, uh, so gas, something like gas prices going up, there's something like you have to get gas a lot. Your life depends on you driving yourself places. And that's something that every time you go, especially if you see it increasing, it's something that it's going to upset you a little bit. Every time you go get it, every time you get gas, you're going to be up a little bit upset. Even if you're not getting gas, you're just driving by the gas station and, and seeing the price go up. It's going to bring you down a little bit. It's a practical thing that's just going to bring you down a little bit. so I, I use gas prices as this kind of pressure gauge. There's not really a science to it, okay? but I just I kind of look at gas prices and I'm like, and you and you can even uh, I can even date myself on this like I can I can even like put a time stamp on this because when there were those back-to-back mass shootings last year. Uh, with the massage parlor and then whatever the other forgettable one was. I mentioned, I did an episode where I talked about how I feel like, like in the days and weeks leading up to those two shootings, I was watching gas prices go up. And of course, wish we had those prices now. What you considered gas prices going up in 2021. (laughs) Bet you wish you had those prices now. But I was watching the gas prices go up like during that initial, because, you know, gas prices were great under Trump's And then they they started going up in 2021. And I was like, I feel like the pressure gauge is, you know, it's going up. And then these shootings happen. I don't think gas prices cause mass shootings. I'm just saying it's, it's like something that just subtly creeps into everybody's life and upsets everybody. And you can't do anything about it. And, uh... That kind of gets into my next point, though, like mass shootings and cars, because uh, when Sandy Hook happened, I made a comment that you know, I made it. I made a comment along the lines of like, cars are so much more dangerous than guns. Like, there are far more lives that could be saved if people were responsible drivers than if people were responsible with guns. Like the amount of horror that is going on in cars all the time is insane. And we act like it's normal and acceptable because it's not one person who's really disturbed and upset going and killing 10 or 20 or 30 people at once. We act like it's not as bad for some reason, but that almost makes it worse to me. It's almost worse to me that we accept that normal people who are otherwise our friends or our family, like people we would consider fairly well-adjusted, our coworkers. The fact that we accept that, like, oh, hey, Sally's got a lead foot. Oh, this is my friend Sally. Uh, She's got a lead foot, but... uh," And we don't act like there's something monstrous about that. Like, I've been in friends' cars, you know, before, where, like, they're tailgating someone, and I'm thinking, like, are you doing this for me? Like are you doing this to like seem like a a tough driver for me? Or do you do this all the time? Like like why I don't want to be in your car if you're tailgating. Like, yeah, I've tailgated people before too. I can think I can only think of a couple times that I really truly tailgated somebody. But I've definitely like I used to if someone's driving slow, I used to kind of put pressure on them. I've only ever like really tailgated somebody a couple times. One time, so one of those like 40 mile an hour roads out in the middle of nowhere and uh, you, you drive 50 on it. And I was going along probably going 50 miles an hour and like this lady came up like at a, a cr- in, you know cross section, like her road intersected with my road and I didn't have a stop and she had a stop sign. And I saw her make eye contact with me a ways ahead And then she just decided to pull out right in front of me, like risking an accident, like cutting me off. And I couldn't believe it because it wasn't like she pulled up to the stop sign and like didn't notice me and and went. Like I saw her deliberately stop, look at me, pause for a while, like and then just decide to go right in front of me to the point where like I had to avoid an accident. And I I was just so infuriated that like I just – I started tailgating her furiously, like really close and honking, and like just repeatedly honking. And my girlfriend at the time was in the car with me. And the lady eventually just pulled off the road so I could go by. And my girlfriend was like, what the fuck? Like that was really out of control. And I was like, it was, yeah. That's the worst I've ever done. It's the worst road rage I've ever, I've ever had. But I used to get people to finger all the time. And I would never do either of those things again. I would never tailgate somebody ever again. I would never give somebody the finger ever again. Too dangerous. You're rolling the dice. I mean the other day I was walking and you know, this is something you see all the time, which speaks to my point that we just accept that there's this this is going on. And we don't we do very little to discourage it. Yeah, our laws say not to do it. But like socially, as a culture, we do very little to discourage this kind of stuff. I, w- I was walking to the store or the post office or something the other day, and I saw like apparently like maybe a car had cut off the other car or something, but this guy was furiously tailgating this truck in front of him. F- like, and I'm talking, he was like getting within an inch of hitting his bumper. He was like trying to get as close as possible. And I noticed that he, it was a two lane road where like, like, you know, their side of the road was two lanes. So he easily could have gone around him, but you could tell that he was locked in. He wanted to harass this guy. He wanted to ride his ass. And then I noticed that eventually he did get into the other lane and I was like, oh, he's finally passing him. But no, he didn't pass him. He pulled into the next lane and then he started driving neck and neck with him. And I couldn't see that far ahead, but I was like, Oh, he's gesturing now, or he's yelling shit. He's not going around him. He he pulled up side by side, and he's staying deliberately neck and neck with him, so that he can. Pro- he's probably giving him the finger. He's probably gesturing. He's out of his mind, and he could kill himself. He could kill somebody. Some like the guy in the truck could pull out a gun and shoot him. And it looked like the guy in the truck was just kind of being very. It wasn't reacting. He looked like he was just ignoring him which was probably upsetting the guy even more, but I was like, that's so insane, and what's so insane is that that's a, that's happening all the time everywhere, and yeah, like, if somebody has that level of road rage, like, maybe your girlfriend or somebody will be like, dude, what the fuck, dude, but, uh, we do accept that, like, oh, yeah, you know, Sally's got a lead foot, she drives 90 miles an hour and all over town, we act and we just kind of go, oh, that's fine. This is who she is. Just make sure you wear your seatbelt when you're with her. But we do all kinds of reckless shit. And, you know, most accidents are preventable. Most accidents are preventable. They are. Most car accidents. Yeah, every once in a while a guy has a heart attack and can't control his car and crashes it into somebody. Every once in a while, the road conditions are bad. Every once in a while, such and such happens that, you know, it's just fate. The same is true walking down the street. You can trip and fall and hit your head and die. But so many accidents in cars are preventable. And yeah, the laws say not to do those things. The laws say not to be reckless or drive fast, but we just sort of accept it. I mean, that was the funny thing to me when I drank a lot is I, I hung out with like you know th- these different social circles who also drank a lot and I've driven drunk you know like someone who who drank as much as I drank you inevitably have driven drunk at some point maybe like maybe I would say you know maybe a couple times I was truly too drunk to drive and most times it was that thing where you had like four drinks and you you're you're good but you'd you'd probably fail a breathalyzer. And who knows? I mean, the reality is maybe maybe I drove when I shouldn't more than I even realize. But I always walked to bars. Like I never I I rarely put myself in a position where it was even an option to drive my car. That said, I rode with so many friends who were drunk. I had a lot of friends who didn't have any reservation really about driving drunk. And at parties and everything like this and bars that I hang out, hung out at the sheer number of people who drove drunk and their friends knew they drove drunk and nobody ever said anything. They didn't want to be uncool. They didn't want to be that uncool person, but it was just accepted. And like, what always got me about it is like in this example, it was like a very liberal, like lefty group of people who were always moralizing about mass shootings, guns, this and that. And it's like, you drive drunk every weekend. You drive drunk every weekend. And it's just like, do you not see? Like, yeah, we're all hypocrites. We're all fallen. But do you not see where, like, what you're doing is actually worse than whatever that Republican you hate is doing? Like, don't you really? And I mean, it's the same for, like, this could be anybody. I'm just talking about my experience. This could be a bunch of, like, you know, morally righteous Christians in middle America who talk about all the horrible things the libs are doing and they drive drunk every weekend. You know, everybody does this. This isn't unique to anybody. I'm just talking about my experience, which was like this very like self-righteous sort of lefty group of people that I knew would drive drunk all the time. And some of them, even when they're not drunk, they would drive recklessly. And I was just like, this is kind of wild that you don't realize like what you're doing. You don't realize how dangerous this is. And it's not like I think everybody should drive like a little old lady, but I do firmly believe traffic laws should have far stricter punishments. Like, I think that you should potentially face jail time for things that you currently get a ticket for, if it's avoidable. Like, if you run a red light and it's deliberate, or I mean, even if it isn't, Like, not like, not like, oh, you tried to go when it was still yellow and it turned red on you. But like, when you see somebody who just sails through a red light, how about a month in jail? I mean, you would do more time than that if you just fired a gun, you know, randomly, you know, just into an open space where people could potentially be, you know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of thing. You sail through a red light and it's egregious. How does 30 days in jail sound? You get caught tailgating somebody, furiously tailgating them. How does a month in jail sound? Why not? I I, I would have no problem with that. I would have zero problem. Oh, you have a road rage incident? Take away your license for a little while. Or are you in jail for 30 days? I, li- I like this I like this jail for 30 days idea. And I think we would see a far fewer fatalities. And so I made that point I was making this basic point back when Sandy Hook happened and the girl I was seeing at the time said that I was being insensitive, which I don't think I was. I, I know why she felt that way. I know why she felt that I was being insensitive. Because it sounded like I was minimizing Sandy Hook, but I wasn't minimizing Sandy Hook or guns or anything like that. I'm simply calling attention to this far more normalized, horrific driving that people do in this country. And I think that when shootings happen and we flip out over 10, 20 people getting killed, which we should be upset about, I think we need to call attention to the fact that like in an hour, I don't know what the stats are, but... You know, in an hour, I'm sure this is happening around the country, because somebody's driving recklessly. Every day you read about it. And, uh... I'm not talking to the parent, like... And that's a thing, too. That's that's a weird thing, too, about the world we live in, is, like, that girl I was seeing at the time saying, like... This is a real, that's a really insensitive thing to say. Insensitive to who? Like, I'm not talking to anybody whose kid died in Sandy Hook. I'm not talking to anybody who's even remotely connected to Sandy Hook or even Connecticut at all. So, who is it being insensitive to? I would agree. Like, if I was in a room with a, a Sandy Hook parent and I said, well, uh, yeah, it sucks that a, a, your kid died. But have you ever noticed how bad traffic fatalities are and how preventable those are? I wouldn't say that. that Being insensitive would be saying that to somebody who lost their kid or has like a personal connection. Like we as total outsiders to the situation should be able to be upset about the massacre of a bunch of small children. But we're not personally connected to it, so we should also be able to have a conversation about, well, hey, what are other things that we can definitely do to prevent unnecessary death? But it's like because mass shootings are evil, it's somebody doing something, there's an evil to it. It's like we we make a bigger deal out of that when it's like Sally's got a lead foot and oh, she hit a toddler. Oh my God, it's her fault, but uh, she's not evil. She's not a bad person, but it's like, Who's to say? Like, I, I kind of think that if you drive 50 miles an hour through a school zone and hit a kid, that's just as evil as a mass shooting. It might not have the same intent, but it's like, I, you know, we normalize this shit. We normalize people driving that way. We normalize drunk driving in our social circles, you know, and it's... I, I think that's worth bringing up when a tragedy strikes to say, like, hey... You know, we're talking about what we can do to prevent gun violence. Well, traffic violence, which you never hear that term. You never, he- like, you never hear, like, if somebody's, you know, tailgating somebody and they cause an accident, that's an act of violence. But we never really frame it that way. Like, if you cut someone off in traffic so bad that it causes an accident, how is that not violence? But anyway, like getting told that that was an insensitive comment, insensitive to who? You? I didn't know that you were personally connected. Yeah, I get that you're sad about it, but I I just, I guess I don't get like where that's an insensitivity thing. And and it's not like, I don't know, but I've made this point a few times and it's not a popular one. Saying like, well, we can prevent traffic violence, we can prevent unnecessary, you know, traffic fatalities and not just fatalities, people getting maimed, which might even be worse in some cases, people being incapacitated. We can prevent a lot more of that with just one simple trick, not being a freak on the road. But, uh, like, I made, when I was doing my school night TV back a few years ago, maybe more than a few, four years ago, five years ago, I remember, like, I made a video about this where I said, uh, I talked about this point. I mean, I've I've been making this point for a decade or more. Every time a mass shooting happens, I'm like, you know, ever, ever think about traffic and what people do on the road? And what you're willing to accept from your peers and your friends and your family, like if you're in the car with a friend, they're tailgating somebody really badly. You should express disappointment. You should be like, "I'm really disappointed in you." But uh, I may I made a school night TV video where I talked about this. I may even I may have even made it private because I was just like. I don't know, self-aware, but I talked about this exact point and I remember that like somebody I know, cause the only people who ever saw those were people I meet, imi- I know like di- used the dislike button. Like somebody disliked it. Maybe it was a bot. I don't know. But like right when I put it up and like, like I shared it back when I used to share these things, somebody disliked it and, and it hasn't been popular other times I've brought it up but I don't think it's because it's a bad point. I think it's just that when something like this happens, when a mass shooting happens, it's like all of a sudden we're all in church and you get shamed for like talking in church. If you say the wrong thing, but, uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's funny how that works. Like how dare you make that point. But um that's about all I got here. I'm gonna wrap it up. I've I have no greater there's no um I don't know, I mean you think about I mean just one last thought. <laughs> I worked with a guy years ago. He was like fresh out of high school. And he had some sort of really fast car. I don't even know what it was because I don't know cars. But and I, and you know, if you want to be into cars and you want to drive a little bit over the speed limit and be into that, that's fine. I'm not anti-car. I love driving. I love driving around. I love driving around. But it, you know, sometimes you meet somebody who's a real freak about it. Like this kid I worked with. He was like 18, fresh out of high school. We got hired on the same day. We started the same day. And I was a little bit older. Like I was. You know, probably close to my mid 20s, maybe. I don't know how old I was, but around there, I was a little bit older. And uh, this kid, though, he had like a really fast car that he was so proud of. It was new, it was all sleek looking. It's not a car you see on the street a lot. And it was his whole life. And he would even like come into the parking lot and like show it off. Like, you know, he didn't even have his, con- you know, he didn't even ask for your consent. And he would like, talk about his car and drive really slow to the parking lot and, like, in his sunglasses, like, stare you down, like, look at my car. And it was just the weirdest thing to, like, know somebody like that. Like, I've known people who are into cars. I've known car guys and things like that. But it's weird when, like, somebody so blatantly telegraphs that I'm so cool because of my car. But this kid, like, I would see him on the highway every morning because we would commute the same direction and he would be driving like a hundred miles an hour on the freeway to work every single morning. I would see him just shoot by like a cheetah. And he did that every single morning. And he ended up getting a ticket for driving like some. His car went some insane speed, and he got a ticket for driving over a hundred. I think it was something insane though. And he was really pissed. You know, he was so mad. He came into work because he got a. You no, know, what it was is we because a bunch of us commuted the same way. And we were all driving into work and like, I guess somebody saw him get pulled over and he got some like insane ticket. I mean, he should have gotten arrested, but he was so upset about it. Like, how dare they? And it was just such a big part of his whole shtick, like to drive extremely fast. And you could tell he did it, not because he actually enjoyed driving a hundred miles per hour. You could tell it, you know, cause I mean... We forget that like even just being able to drive 60 miles an hour is insane and something that nobody could have ever comprehended even when cars first came to be. So the fact that we can even go 60 or 70 and still like be within the limit, that's crazy enough on its own. It's amazing I can do that. But the fact that like this guy goes 100, it's like he's doing that for us. He was clearly going that fast every morning past us for us in the same way that he would drive really slow through the parking lot and stare at you. And uh, it was just amazing that he was so upset that he got this ticket, like, not mad at himself, like, oh, I was stupid for going that fast. It was like, how dare that cop pull me over for doing that? And he was, he was one of those guys, too, who, like, aired out his whole life. I mean, the first day of work, we worked together. It was both, it was a, both of our first day, and as we were leaving the building, I remember he goes, I'm over it. Meaning like he was already over the job or whatever. Like, I, And it's just like, I guess because I was a little bit older, I was just like, this seems like a pretty, yeah, it's like a labor job. But it's pretty laid back. It's pretty easy. The demand is pretty low. Like it's boring. It's boring. But I remember leaving thinking like that wasn't too bad. It was a long day, but it's like I, don't, I didn't feel like... uh any work didn't give me any grief, but he, he's leaving his first day of work. He's like, I'm over. it. It's like, okay, I, the rest of your life working here is going to suck really bad. If you're over it on the first day. And there was a day he came into work really upset, not the ticket day, not the day he got his ticket. But he came into work really upset. And he's like, My girlfriend and I, I found out that when we were on a break, she slept with other people. And he, he was one of those guys, too, kind of like the guy in the school shooter video I was talking about, who talked in like a way lower voice than he actually had. Like he, he would try to talk in this fake bass voice. Like, my, girl, my girlfriend said to do. It. And, he, you know, he was like a decent looking kid, like, he was a jock blonde dude like he he didn't need to do anything. Like, he was athletic. He was like an athlete. He didn't need to do anything, but it's like this guy was so insecure and he was 18. So I'm not judging this young guy, but like it was just weird to see like how much of this guy was broadcast to all of us every day. Like we knew all about this guy's life and everything, you know. And he's like he came into words like my girlfriend told me that when we were on a break she slept with other people. And I remember thinking like Isn't that the whole point of a break? Isn't the only reason that couples go on breaks so they can sleep with other people? Maybe not, but that, like I had a girlfriend, like we lived together and she was like, I think we should go on a break. And I was like, if we go on a break, we should just break up. I'm not going to go on a break. And she was like, okay. Because I was just like, I'm not going to go on a break. I don't, I don't, I hate that language. I'm not saying maybe there isn't a time and a place or something to do that, but I don't know. It's but at the same time, if you do go on a break with your significant other, the whole point seems to be that like you can get away with seeing other people and it's not cheating. So like this guy found out. And here's the thing too. That said, I'd be I'd be as pissed as he is. Like if I went on a break with my girlfriend I'd feel sick about the fact that she slept with other people while we were on a break. I would know that like in the court of relationship law, I couldn't be mad at her because like that's part of the, the agreement of going on a break. But that said, I would feel sick inside. I would be feeling like this kid felt. But it's a situation where I'd be more mad at myself for agreeing to it. But this kid he was so upset he left work that day. He came in and he like left work early and then he drove down to the Oregon coast and back, which takes forever. I mean, not forever. It's like this the same like region, you know, Pacific Northwest. But it's not like a it's not a, a random drive. You don't just wake up and go. I'm gonna drive down to the Oregon coast and back. It takes a long time. But he like zipped down and like he the next day he's like yesterday I, d- I drove down to the Oregon coast and back because I just had to think because that's the thing is he was this his like normal jock kid. Who was obsessed with his his fast car, but he was really like what people would call emo. He was really emo, uh, and uh, it, he was always it was, it's like I drove down to like Cannon Beach, and I just like stared at the ocean, and I went 150 miles an hour each way, you know. And it's just like that was his whole life, and this just turned into me talking about this random kid I worked with, but he he was like a parable to me. I didn't know that at the time. I just kind of like listened to what he had to say, and he would talk to me, and I wouldn't even really say much back to him. And uh, then one day he came into work, and he's just like, "I have a new job lined up," because he was, he was always one of those guys who it's like he I, he's all he's always moving on to something better. He's always moving on up to the east side, you know. But he uh, he was just like, "I have a new job lined up. I'm gonna I'm gonna be working for this guy's construction company." And they pay me a billion. They're gonna pay me a billion, billion more dollars than this place does. And they're also gonna pay my college tuition if I decide to go back to school. So like, fuck this place. Like one of those guys. You you work with guys like that. You work with people like that where like they have some monologue about that. Like I found a new job and like they pay me a billion, billion dollars. And they're gonna pay my college tuition. And they're gonna give me a flashlight. They're going to give me a free flashlight, and they're going to pay me to use it. No, I don't, I don't know what the fuck that is, but... And sure enough, he, got, he left, and then like a year later, I was walking by my house, and I walked by this car wash, and I saw him working there, and like, there's no shame in working at a car wash, and he, he had like the lowest of the low position, you know, it's like he... he like squeegeed the car or something afterward he was like doing the grunt work at a car wash and there's no shame in that there's no shame in working at a car wash but the point is is like he made it sound like next time i see him he's gonna be a millionaire and then sure enough like a year later i see him just doing grunt work at a car wash nothing wrong with that but i'm just saying like It's that sort of thing where it's like, oh yeah, always moving on to something bigger and better. Well, look at what, look at where you're at. But he was just, it was insane. Like, but the thing is we all knew he drove insane and like kind of called him out on it. Like people at work, like they kind of gave him shit about it. But then there's a weird thing that happens at workplaces like that where, there were some older guys, like our boss was kind of this older, like blue collar sort of guy. And there were a couple other older guys there. And when there's like a young hothead like that, there's this interesting thing that takes place where like they kind of take him under their wing and like counsel him. They kind of turn him into their project. Like our boss would kind of take him, like when he would come in, like upset about his girlfriend or whatever it was, our boss would like take him to the side and give him a speech about like tough love and like kind of coach him. And it's cool, like that's cool that men do that, and I don't, I don't think they even do it enough anymore. But it was weird to see that happen because like they weren't going to do that with everybody, like but they, the young hothead, like they were giving him a chance almost because he was pretty intolerable. But they would kind of take him to the side and be like, "When I was your age, I thought the same way, dude. When I was your age, I, I felt the same way, man. But you know, you got to get it in gear, man." And they, they, like, my boss didn't sound like that. When I was your age, I, I thought the same way. They would give him speeches like that. But uh, this guy was such a maniac. He was, he was rolling the dice on committing vehi- vehicular homicide every single day. I would see him zip by, be like there he is. There goes the cheetah on the highway. There goes the highway cheetah. Because even getting that massive ticket, he, he didn't learn. He still drove really fast, and it's just like that guy's a maniac. And there's guys like that. There's people like that out there. Mostly men. Some women do it. I've known women who drive crazy and fast and all that. But in my mind, it's like a, a kid like that. Like he, like when when he got arrested or when he got ticketed for speeding, like he should have gone to jail that day. I mean, that guy, he's not a school shooter. He's not keeping a diary about all of his misgivings about the world. And he's going to go into an elementary school and kill children. But it's like every single day, he's, got, he's mad about something and he's putting people's lives at risk like every single day. Like, a school shooting happens on one day and it happens once. There's no school shooter who's done it more than once. It'd be pretty crazy if he did <laughs> It turns out, like, oh, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, it's like when you hear about bank robbers, like, every once in a while they'll arrest a bank robber and they're like, we believe that he hit the U.S. Bank on April 4th, 1998. And then he followed that up by, uh, you know, targeting the, the Shield Savings Bank on May 1st, 1999. You know, they always talk about, like, how we suspect he did this or, like, a serial killer. Like, we suspect that he did all of these murders at different times. It'd be wild if, like, we get to a point where, like, the same mass shooter is, like, committing multiple mass shootings. Um, but you think about those incidents, like, these mass tragedies, and it's, like, that happens on one day and too many people die. One person who dies, It's, it's a tragedy. 20 people who die, you know, it's a tragedy. But then you think about somebody who drives extremely reckless every single day. And I'm not trying to say one is worse or better or anything. Or one, you know, obviously shooting a bunch of children is more evil at at its heart. But it's just like, that's such a dangerous thing to do every day. To drive that fast or recklessly. And we just kind of go, oh yeah, he's got a lead foot. Oh, he shouldn't do that. When in reality, we should treat them like they're suffering demonic possession. But that kind of feels like the age we're in. You know, I was talking to my buddy last night. Lives in Virginia. And he was saying, like, you know, he, he was like, he's basically saying, like, it, it you know, it feels uh, stupid to say, but he's like, You know, it it really does feel like we're in a zombie movie now. Like, you really kind of understand. Like, like growing up, like, when everyone's like, oh, you know, zombie movies are metaphors. Zombie movies are metaphors for, like, mass collective psychosis. When everybody just loses their minds and you're the only sane one. But my buddy was like, it sounds stupid to say, but it's like, I feel like that's how things are now. And I'm like, you know, I agree. (laughs) We are at a point where, like, the most cliche ideas feel relevant. And, uh, it does kind of feel like people are possessed. It does feel like, like there's this just, um, if you don't want to call it collective psychosis, just like a collective, um, possession of, you know, that everybody's possessed and you know, these things are not new. It's like people driving crazy isn't new, but it's like, that's like somebody under a spell. It does feel like people are under a spell. The whole kingdom, an evil wizard has put the whole kingdom under a spell. But uh, at some point, you just have to say, like, I'm not, I don't think it's in my ability to break the spell. I can just do what I can to not be under it. And uh, if everybody was able to do that, You know, maybe maybe nobody'd be under a spell. Maybe the evil wizard's magic wouldn't work. Maybe the evil wizard magic wouldn't work. Maybe the evil wizard's magic wouldn't work. I see a land where children can run free so take.